And this is one thing I think that people are mistaken about when it comes to networking is that many people are like, oh, I love The Mandalorian. I'm going to look at the editor for Mandalorian, the head editor. Or I'm going to look at the post supervisor and try and contact them. The friend that got me my first post PA position, she was a post PA. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. My guest today is Matthew Ferrugia, who's an assistant editor in Hollywood, whose recent two projects are both so high profile and high security, I literally cannot even name them yet. But hint, they are for Apple Plus and Marvel. What is crazy is that despite his young age, and more impressively, his extremely short amount of time in the industry, Matthew went from working in a paint store, literally working in a paint store, to landing his dream job working for Marvel in just short of two years. After becoming a student of my Optimizer coaching and mentorship program, Matthew quickly learned the fundamental mistakes that he was making with his cold outreach that were leading to zero success. Let's just say that once he learned how to become a networking ninja, the game changed. Whether you have been in the industry for two years or 20, or even more, you have most likely experienced the frustrating bridge between where you are now and where you want to be next. And inevitably, you're not going to bridge that gap alone. You're either going to need a mentor, an advocate, or ideally both. If you are tired of writing cold outreach emails that do not get responses, or at least useful ones, this conversation is going to illuminate what it is specifically that you might be getting wrong, and more importantly, how to do outreach the right way. My interview with Matthew is going to cover the exact cold outreach email networking steps that he learned in the Optimizer program that took him from working in a paint store to, as he calls it, working jobs that he thought were going to be his end game. And yes, pun intended, Marvel fans. You're going to learn what a great outreach message should consist of, how to write a great follow-up message, and by the way, the magic is in the follow-up, and you're also going to learn the key mindset shifts that it takes to turn your failures into wins so you can make the most out of every moment in your career. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Matthew Ferrugia. To access the show notes for this episode with all the bonus links and resources discussed today, as well as to subscribe, leave a review, and more, simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash episode 192. I am here today with Matthew Ferrugia, who is a student and might I say a star student from my Optimizer Coaching and Mentorship community. He is a 25-year-old assistant editor originally from New York who's now an L.A. transplant. You recently have worked on two soon-to-be-released shows, which we have to be sh super secret about because we're not allowed to say anything, but we can at least say that you are working for both Marvel and Apple TV. 
on two soon-to-be-released shows, as I said, and some of your other recent credits include Rise for Disney+, Plus, Den of Thieves, Million Dollar Listing, Below Deck, and starting out as a PA way back in the day on The Bachelorette. So number one, Matthew, it has been a long time coming, and you and I have been talking in the background about having this conversation and sharing your story. So first of all, thank you for taking the time, given how busy you are, working your dream job for Marvel to be here with me today. Well, it's not a problem at all. You know, actually, one of my like micro goals for my career was being on your podcast as a guest. So this is uh, I'm, I'm checking something off the bucket list for me. I love it. Well, that uh, that warms my heart. I didn't even know that that was the case, but I love the fact that I can allow you to check that off your bucket list. Uh, and speaking of buckets, that's actually where I want to start the conversation, which is that looking at your credit list, knowing you're only 25 and you've only been in the industry for a few years, this credit list is very, very impressive. What's even more impressive, however, is that the first year out of college, you were working at a paint store, I believe. Yes. So you've actually done everything on the list that I talked about, not even in three or four years. You've done it in essentially two years. So let's rewind because I want people to understand how you could go from going to some little small college in San Diego to working at a paint store to working for Marvel in a span of just a couple of years. So go back to the beginning of whatever you believe is your origin story. Oh, geez. Um, you know, I think for me, the story really starts with uh, high school, actually. I've, so I've always known that I wanted to make movies. I've always known I wanted to tell stories. That's always been my thing. And film was always the medium I used. And I was lucky enough in high school to have a video, a video communications course. And when I was there, you know, like middle school, uh, I, I always like, oh, I like writing. So I want to be a screenwriter. That was always like, that was my one track mind. And in high school, sophomore year, my teacher, Mrs. Spat, she gave, she gave an assignment. And the, the assignment was, you know, like looking up career, uh, uh, careers in film and television. And she told me, she pulled me aside and she told me, she was like, hey, Matt, you're a really good editor. I like what you do when, you know, like you're editing. I think you should look into like the editor. I was like, Miss Spat, that's very kind of you, but I'm going to be a screenwriter. So I'm going to do that one. And then we kind of went back and forth. And she told me, she was like, if you don't, she's like, you can do both. She's like, uh, if, if you don't do editing, though, I'm going to fail you for this assignment. And I was like, this is so unfair. You're making me do the assignment twice. And I was like, fine, whatever. I'm, I'm going to prove you right that like this is like, you know, like what's meant for me. And I did the research on being an editor. And might I say, like the research I did was like wrong. Like now that I'm actually in the industry, it's like wrong. But I did the research and it was like, wow, this is exactly this is putting together these puzzle pieces of footage to make a story. That's exactly what I wanted. And uh, she won. She was right. And I was like, editor, editing, that's exactly where I need to go. And from there, I became one track minded again, just, you know, get into editing. And that's I got into college. I selected my college because it, you know, you could start editing immediately. There was no like, oh, you have to, you're, oh, you'll be doing that by your second, third, fourth year. I was like, no, like you can just edit, start and go. Um, it also gave me a very good scholarship, which did impact my uh, decision. But what I realized from college was the only way I'd get onto what I want to do is from networking. So I started networking. I joined a lot of Facebook groups and I was like, Hey, I'm a complete newbie. Can someone help me? Literally. And that was my beginning of my taste of like what the community of post-production is like. It's a very welcoming community. I had people, I still have people on my Facebook friends list that, you know, I'll, I'll occasionally talk to. And it's like, they were literally there from the beginning. And I, um, I used to go up to LA. I didn't even have a car. I'd find a way to get myself to LA and go to like, you know, BCPC meetups, uh, assistant editor meetups, classes. And when I finally moved up to LA, well, obviously everyone has to have a job, you know, everyone needs a source of income. I, and I, I was working at a paint store for the first full year of 
uh, being in Los Angeles. And, you know, that was, that was rough. I mean, cause it's like, everyone knows that things take time, you know, you got to plant the seed and wait for it to grow. But I guess everyone's kind of, you know, at least for me, at least I, you know, I expected things to take off a lot sooner. I was like, Oh, I'm just going to be here for a couple months. And then it was like a year later, I'm like, I'm still here. What am I doing? And then man, once things took off, they really started taking off though. I got to say, well, I will, I will, I'll make it very clear to the audience that I did not pay you in advance beforehand to say that networking is important and was the number one tool that got you to where you are. But we're going to talk a lot more about networking and all the strategies that you and I worked through and um, that you implemented. Um, but it's, I find it actually very rare. It, first of all, it's rare in general. But secondly, it's incredibly rare for somebody at the age that you were at the time, which is still in college, to recognize that networking is important. Because the vast majority of students, if not all of them that I've ever known, both in my experience, students that I've worked with in this program, and you can tell me if you agree, almost everybody thinks that their skill alone is going to get them where they want to get. I'm going to be the next director. I'm going to be the next writer. I'm going to be the next great editor. And they just get buried in the craft, which, by the way, is great, especially earlier in your career. But they often miss the component of people actually need to know I'm awesome at what I do. So what made you realize that networking was so important so early? Actually, it was a friend of mine. A friend of mine, he was more into production. And uh, we're doing a production down in San Diego. And he got on, you know, not through the school, completely by himself. And he ended up making this connection with this uh, assistant director that uh, they just clicked. You know, they were just like that. And it was like, oh yeah, like this, this guy, he's talking about getting me a job up in LA, blah, blah, blah. And this is all within like the first couple months of like college. And I'm like, I, I was roommates with him. Like my mind is being blown. I'm like, if he's doing this for production work, why am I not doing this for post-production work? That makes zero sense. So I was like, so I literally, I went on Facebook and I searched editors then I search assistant editors and like post-production. And I just like my, that's where I found all the groups. And then that's like, that was the beginning of like, okay, how do you, how do you network? How do you get into networking? And I'll say this, and uh, this is like, you know, like one of my big quotes, I think I'm a better networker than I am assistant editor. I'm still learning how to be an assistant editor. And honestly, I've been networking for longer than I've been assistant editing, you know, like, so I, I would definitely say that the only reason I've gotten to where I'm at right now is not even my skill. It's my networking. Yeah. And uh, clearly you've uh, you've learned a lot and come a long way when it comes to networking skill and what it is that you've been able to leverage in the very, very short amount of time uh, that you have done what you've done in the industry. And I know that feeling of I feel like I should be doing this faster. Why am I still at, the play, at this specific place? Why is it not happening? Uh, I think that happens to a lot of people, but I also think it very specifically happens to people that know exactly what they want to do. There aren't a lot of us, but I was very similar to you in that by college, I already knew that I was going to be an editor. So for all the student film projects, everybody was fighting over, I want to direct, I want to direct, all right, I'll be the writer. They're like, nobody wants to edit. I'll edit, I'll do it, I'll do it, right? I just wanted to cut stuff and I wanted to learn the craft. And I think that having that clarity provides more urgency where you just want to make it happen faster. So I would guess, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but the, the fact that you really knew what you wanted to do and had that level of clarity is why it probably felt like forever sitting in a pain store. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100, 110%. I mean, you know, the pain store was not because I, I, I knew it was a temporary thing and I want, I, you know, I hungered for getting in the post, even as a post PA for me, it's like all of it was just that world. And it, you know, it's not, it's not that like, you know, it's like, Oh, like you're out here for the thrill. I, I once told, um, I once told my ex-girlfriend's parents, I was like, yeah, I'm, I may be getting into the film industry, but if you're expecting me to be, you know, to get famous, like, I am in the wrong spot for that. <laughs> you know, editors are the unseen talent behind everything. So it was never about, you know, like glory. It was always about like, this is where I fit in. This is where I belong. 
And this is where I have to go because I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I really couldn't, you know, it's, there are some times where it's like, you know, I'm sure you've been there where it's like, man, work is intense. And you're, but uh, then you stop and you're like, man, I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else though. <laughs> yeah. That's basically exactly where I am at this moment. Like right before you and I recorded this conversation, I was looking at a full screen calendar as I often do staring at my calendar and just saying to myself, how in the world am I going to get all of this stuff done by the time I launch the coaching program in September, a million and a half problems that need to be solved. And I'm like, there's just, there's nothing I would rather be doing right now than solving these problems. Uh, so I can, I can definitely relate to that feeling. What I'm curious about now is that you're working at the paint store and there's this urgency and there's this impatience and I've been here forever, but that's not enough. People think that just, well, I put in my time and it should be happening for me now. That's not enough to do it. So what was the difference for you that got your foot in the door? Networking. I got my first long-term post-PA position because of a friend that, and this is one thing I think that people are mistaken about when it comes to networking is that many people are like, oh, I love the Mandalorian. I'm going to look at the editor for Mandalorian, the head editor. I'm going to look at the post supervisor and try and contact them. The friend that got me my first post PA position, she was a post PA on something else. And the only reason why well, she was able, you know, like, like hey, I, I know this was because they actually offered her the job and she wasn't able to do it because she was working somewhere else. And because I knew a post PA and they were like, hey, I know someone else who's trying to become a post PA. I got an interview. And one thing I'm going to say about the industry when in interviews is I still hate interviews. I yeah, still, I think everybody listening probably agrees with you right now. <laughs> I cannot stand interviews because it's always the ones that you walk away from with the most excited, the most hyped are the ones you never get. And the ones that you have absolutely like, like, oh, that that's that's going nowhere. That's the ones that send you the email like that night. Oh, by the way, when are you ready to start? And you're just like, whoa, wait, uh, I... I, I I went to the bar and got a beer because I was sad. Like, what's going on? <laughs> so then the the friend that was offered a post PA position that wasn't available that referred you that was somebody that you found specifically through the networking process through Facebook and whatnot. Not somebody that you knew previously. Um, that was somebody that. So I was a part of the ACE uh, mentorship. I, I I wasn't selected to be the ACE intern, but I. I was an applicant and, you know, if, even if you're an applicant, there's certain things that you do and a bunch of us just kind of grouped together. Like we were a bunch of applicants that didn't get selected. We all just kind of grouped together and there's still some of my closest friends that are here in LA. I still hang out with them like all the time. And w one of my friends, she was the one, she was an applicant and she's the one that actually offered it to me. She was like, Hey, like, this is what's going on. It was a group chat. She was like, anyone want a post PA position? And I'm like, at the paint store. Yes, yes, please. My resume, here you go. <laughs> what I love about this portion of the story is the fact that you were able to reframe what most people would consider a failure into a success. Because many people that I've talked to in the past, myself included, have been in positions where they have been applicants for something as prestigious as the ACE internship, and they don't get it. Well, I failed or there's this job opportunity. I didn't get it. I failed. But you said, well, I didn't get it. I'm not the ace intern, but I met some cool people and I'm going to stay in touch with them. And that's what literally got you outside of the paint store and into the world of post-production. That not only got me outside of the paint store and, and as a post PA, that got me my first unscripted assistant editor position as well. I got that from that same group chat. And that what you said is actually something that I really want to nail home. One of the biggest things is people, a lot of people, you know, like my friends, I, I see this, even my family outside of post-production, I look at every interview as like, okay, what can I get out of this? And not from like, a, like, oh, gimme, gimme, gimme sense. It's like, okay, I had an interview with somebody that worked on The Walking Dead. I have their email. 
I have a direct way to contact them. They know my name. My, my last name stands out. People generally don't forget it. <laughs> um, you know, so I have... I could show you a list. I, I have a list. And if I and on this list is a bunch of people that I was like, oh, how, how do you know this person? Oh, I interviewed for a post PA or an assistant editor position and they didn't accept me. And I just asked, I was like, hey, can I keep in touch with you? Like you've worked on a lot of cool stuff. You continue to work on cool stuff. I just want to, you know, stay on your radar. And that's, you know, and I think I got that. And you might laugh at this, but um, growing up, I was really into like, you know, like, cartoons and anime and all that. And there was this one anime, Naruto. I'm actually wearing a shirt for it. People who are just listening can't see that. But And there was this one minor character named Konkuro, and he got beat up by like one of the villains. And when he's at the hospital, like all the main characters are there. And they say, they're like, do you know like who it was or like, do you have, like, anything? And Conqueror reveals he actually ripped off a piece of their clothing so that has their scent so they can track them. And one of the one of the main characters says, he, and I've for some reason I'm like 10 years old and stuck with me, stuck to me like glue. He's like, that's what makes a real warrior is finding in the face of defeat, you still find a victory. And I'm like 10 years old, that blew my mind. I'm like wide-eyed looking at the screen like, whoa. And this is a minor character. This is from a, minor, a minor character from like an, an anime. And I'm like, man. And that is like the, that is one of the philosophies I've lived my life on. In the face of every defeat, you got to look for a victory. And even if it's like, hey, can I keep in touch with you? Even if you were like get like interview like feedback, I've done that before. It's like, hey, as my interviewer, what could I have done better? I went out and got you know this is back when people were you know before COVID, you know things were a bit easier to meet people. And I asked one of the ladies that interviewed me, I was like, what could I do better next time? So when I interview with someone else, I do better. And she like a whole laundry list. She was like, it's not that you did anything bad, but this stuff would have made you stand out. Like, man, I wish I knew that. But now I do. And there's always going to be another job interview. I can't tell you how many interviews for the greatest show on earth. Like, man, if I got this show, it would be insane. It would be crazy. How many interviews I, I had, I didn't get it. And... I mean, it's it's rough. Anyone, and this is not just a post thing. This is any industry. It's rough to have an interview and you not get, especially when you really wanted it. But each one, it's like you gotta look at it and you gotta be like, this will this will happen again. There will be another interview, you know. There, there, and it will be for something cooler. The stuff that I'm that I have worked on and I am working on. I mean, to tell you the truth, Zach, I thought this was endgame stuff. I thought I was going to, like, you know, 20, 30 years down the road, I'd be able to work on this stuff. And everything happens for a reason. You know, I mean, there's always a reason why you didn't get that job. And that's because the next interview that you already know how to tackle is coming. And that's the job. Mm. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from Ergo-driven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, 
it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash Topo. That's T-O-P-O. Man, I love it. You are you are wise well beyond your years. Very rarely do I have somebody that uh, will come to me at your level of experience or your age that understands the value of taking a defeat and turning it into a victory. Uh, I think that's uh, that's such a, I mean, of, of all the, the meta skills and meta mindsets, as you know, that's something that I preach over and over and over in the program, is that failure is simply feedback. And the reason that I feel that I can be successful, whatever it is that I choose to do, is because I fail faster than anybody else is willing to fail. I will just fail over and over and over, and I have hours and hours and hours of B-roll for anybody that wants to watch me failing for the last four years at American Ninja Warrior, but it makes me better. And it's not a matter of, well, I failed. I am a failure. I can't do this. It's now I know what I need to figure out next. And that's what you did. You did an interview. It didn't work out. And you said, all right, great. This didn't work out. But how do I do a better next time? That is such a key mindset to be successful at anything. So very wise beyond your years. However, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I I was just going to add something that like this isn't just interviews. Uh, I'm going to tell a personal story. I got laid off from my second AE job. And I can't tell you how terrible I felt. Second AE job, especially because the first one I did really well and knocked it out of the park. The only reason I couldn't go back is because they didn't have anything for me. Second one, I went into it. I was gung ho. I thought I got it. I ended up getting laid off. I, I'm pretty sure I actually talked to you about this when it happened. Yeah, this had happened after you and I met. We haven't gotten to the point in the story where we connected, but yes, you and I knew each other at this point, and I remember doing several hot seats to help you kind of work through that process because, um, as you already know, but maybe anybody that listens, um, people will often say, oh, are you a career coach now? And I'm like, nah, I'm more of a career therapist. <laughs> So there, there, you know, there, there were some, th- some therapy sessions to, to work through some of both of the, the grief and the fear and the anxiety that, uh, that comes from losing a job or choosing the wrong one or being in a, a, the bad situation. And I definitely remember the darker times for sure. Oh yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. And I got laid off and I got a position that worked me less hours and I worked from home like a week later. And I'm mm-hmm. like, man, things work out. And that's just why I, I want that. It's not, it's not just job interviews. You have to have that mentality with it's literally everything with your career. If you get laid off, there's something better literally right down the road. You just got to go walk to it, you know, just go around the block. You're there. Yep. So it's, it's clear that you have not gotten where you are because you are some savant with Avid Media Composer or Adobe Premiere or anything else, but you've decided that I want to prioritize networking is a skill that I want to learn, which brought you to me roughly in almost exactly two years ago now. You probably didn't even realize that, but you and I had our first 30 minute intro, get to know each other call almost exactly two years ago today. I did not know. I I, I did not know that. Um, I did not, honestly. Yes. So I I wanted to to remind you of those days because when you came to me, you were a very, very different person. And you had said, you had uh, had, uh, used a term that I never heard before that I now actually use a lot because you mentioned it on our first call. You said that I am experiencing career anxiety. I'd never heard it put that way before. I'm like, that's a really good way to put it. And mind you, being two years ago, this was right at the height of COVID when things were just kind of starting to open up a little bit, but it was only like six months in and we still really didn't have any sense of what the future was going to be. And you came to me saying that I have a lot of career anxiety and I'm not really sure what my next steps are, but, and it's funny, you talked about this idea of like the end game was getting to projects like you're on now. You had said that, you know, the goal is maybe in three to five years, I can become a union assistant editor and dream job someday, Marvel films, DC films, et cetera, et cetera. So rewinding two years 
to this call, if I had said, this is where you'd be, you would have been like, never going to happen. Yeah, I, I would have told you, yeah, if the stars align and I win the jackpot, like I'm going to go buy a lottery ticket right now. You know what I mean? Like, Two, two, you know, and I, I think of where I was two years ago because I remember the career. I mean, I, I, you know, stuff like that doesn't ever really go away, but it changes like it changes with you. So I, I, I would say I still have the career anxiety, but it is much more different now. It is. I mean, back then I was scared of being stuck. I was scared of being pigeonholed. I was scared of. I was scared of just not being good. You know, I was, I can't do it. You know, it was like, forget, forget high-end scripted, forget top Warner Brothers, top Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus shows. I'm out here. I'd I'd be lucky to work on a Hallmark film. I mean, like, honestly. But yeah, so the career anxiety... Was definitely there, and, and it still does stick around because now it's like, am I doing good enough to stay in this world? You know, I'm sure you know a lot about that from everything you've worked on, but like, you you get this new career anxiety to where it's like I have to always be improving, always getting faster, because, I mean, you don't want to get left behind. Absolutely not. And that uh, is a a constantly evolving process where in this industry, it's always about what have you done lately? Not what have you done, but what have you done lately? And that's what can generate a lot of that career anxiety. And what I've seen from my perspective with you is that I think, of course, the anxiety is not going to go away. I still have career anxiety. Like it's never going to completely go away. But the difference was that there was a lot of uncertainty about what does this even look like? What is the path? Is this even possible for somebody like me versus now you have all the tools you know the steps and yeah, some things are unknown, but you have a lot more control of your situation. That's actually a great way of putting it. That's like, yeah, back two years ago, I did not like everything was in a thick fog and I felt like I was walking around. Now the yellow brick road is there. I just got to make sure I, I stay on it. And really, I think any, like, I believe anyone can go on like the yellow brick road. I genuinely, it's like, if, if you just follow advice follow your gut and just stay true to like your mindset if your mindset is i want to work on uh, horror movies always be moving towards that so speaking of anxiety one thing that i want to make very very clear to everybody that's listening is that you and i say this with all the love in the world you were not born with some innate ability to network better than everybody else and you were not sending out amazing outreach messages. And to be perfectly honest, your networking skills needed a whole lot of work. So when you came to me, one of the biggest pieces of anxiety was, I just, I hate sending the emails. I send them, and a week later, I didn't get a response, and I'm rereading it. It's like, oh my God, I must have offended them. Or like, so, so talk to me about before we learned all these techniques, how it felt to have to send these cold messages for you. Oh man, before sending, before talking with you, before doing the the advance yourself course, it was, I mean, anxiety is just a word to say, you know? I would literally, I would read an email a bazillion times, I would send it, and then I would read it again. And if they don't respond in three days, I'm freaking out. I am, I am like... This is it. They don't like me. This person was the golden ticket. And without them, like, I might as well just go back to the paint store. That, that was the mindset I had. And it, I mean, it kept me awake at night. So after working together for a while, what did you realize were some of your fundamental mistakes with your outreach? I remember them. I'm curious if you remember them, because just for the record, you're really good at this now. And the reason you got where we are, which we're going to talk a little bit more about a little bit later, are the actual steps to go from this person to the response, to the call, to sitting in the chair that you are at this moment. But when you first started workshopping with me, I was empathetic and I had all the compassion in the world, but I was also very brutal. What was some of my feedback about the problems that you used to have with your outreach? For me. 
I, there were two first off as you know, and like you, uh, you said, this is, I did a lot, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a sniper. I was shotgunning it. They were kind of generic. They were, Oh, Hey, uh, I love what you did. Can I get it? You know, like, can I pick your brain or can I, uh, you know, be your best buddy. And that kind of relates back to, or, the, or it's not back, but the second one, which I think was my biggest issue was I would send outreach emails, texts, whatever, like a pen pal. And that was my biggest problem. And that's still to this day, I always like, I, I, I'm, if you, I, I don't even want to show you the drafts from my email because we don't have enough time. But there are emails that I've written and I just haven't sent because I'm, I'm being a pen pal. Yeah, I'm, you have a very good memory because if I were to, to crystallize it in a single sentence, it was these two exact problems. I'm fanboying and I'm trying to be somebody's email pen pal, which is still the better approach as opposed to, hey, my name is Matthew Ferruja. I'm currently available for any assistant editing opportunities. My resume is attached for your reference. And people think, Zach's just making this up. Trust me, I am not making this up. I have an entire folder that I collect of bad outreach where people do this. And I had one of my students who uh, I helped move from being an assistant editor to an editor on a very high profile Netflix show. And she sent me a message a week ago with a screenshot of that exact message. And she said, I get it now. I'm starting to get these messages and they're just, I just feel dirty when I get them. And it was from somebody that she knew and she was just feel, she felt like she was being used. So to me, those mm -hmm. are kind of the bottom of the barrel outreach messages where you only hear from somebody when they need something. You weren't doing that. You were kind of doing the polar opposite, which is you are so awesome. And I'd love to know how you did this thing and that thing and the other thing. And hey, where do you eat uh, breakfast on Saturdays? It's like, uh what yeah and um uh, with the real quick the screenshots i actually have gotten a couple of those as well from random strangers i have no idea alumni from my school and i always tell them like hey like let me try and educate you real quick this is not how you do it because you're not going to get anywhere and uh, i don't know if you've had this experience but some people do not take that very well Yes. Oh, I, I definitely had that experience because what I often do, not always, um, but more often than not, if I can tell that somebody's intentions are good, I'll respond to their bad outreach and I'll just let them know like, hey, I'm, I'm interested in helping you, but we need to come up with a better way with your approach because your approach is not working. And the ones like I, there's uh, one person I actually talk about in my uh, networking ninja workshop that I do where I teach all this stuff in like three hours. Um, but I had one person where they sent me a cold Facebook message. Hey, Zach, would love to take you out to coffee to pick your brain. Word for word. I'm like, doesn't get any worse than that. But I looked him up. I'm like, this seems like a good guy. This seems like somebody that has good intentions and just doesn't know how the game works. So I responded back and I said, going to be honest, really not a good approach. However, I want to help you through this. Why don't you try sending me your first message to me again, but do the following things. Two weeks later, he and I were having lunch together one-on-one. -on -one. It was a fantastic lunch. And a year later, through just going back and forth via email, he never even joined the program. He moved from being a tech at an Apple store to having his dream job as an assistant editor for a major trailer company. Nice. And his first outreach sucked. So the point is, and people say this a lot, like, oh, well, that's mean that you don't respond or it's mean that, you know, you call them out. It's like, I do it. It's, it's essentially tough love. Mm -hmm. If I know their intentions are good and they don't want to just use me, I'll point it out. But it's amazing how many people think that this approach works. It does not work. Stop doing it. It does not work. And it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's weird. It's weird to get those kind of messages. And you're just like, I don't know you. And, you know, especially like the film industry is so word of mouth. And it's so like, oh, yeah, I'm vouching for this guy. And. Like, give me something to believe in you with, you know? All right. So we've talked about a few things that don't work. Mm -hmm. We've talked about how your approach was at best getting you a couple of messages from people you admire that said, thanks so much for the kind words. Best of luck, buddy. That was kind of the, the best case scenario, getting a lot of non-answers. What did you learn that fundamentally shifted your mindset about networking and your ability to send outreach that gets results? So the 
the guy I, I, I uh, workshopped with you, he, he put it very, very simply. He's like, man, you went full FBI on me. And it's true. You, you have to know, just know stuff about them. And when you send that email, actually know the person you're talking to. Like, like obviously, you're not going to know their birthday. Even if you did, you don't want to say that. Uh, you know, Although, thanks like, to I, Facebook, it's not even that creepy anymore. But yeah, I get your point. <laughs> like, you know, know, know what they've done, know how long, you know, stuff like that. And then send it direct. Be like, hey, this is exactly what I'm asking of you. Can you help me? You have to be direct. You ha- you can't sit here and play around with the subject. Like, hey, I'm asking for your time. You have to offer them some sort of value. Be like, you know, what you what you done on the Incredible Hulk was amazing. You know, I love the scene where Bruce Banner spilled his coffee all over the floor. I thought it was so funny. Something like that. I'm just kind of spitballing off the top of my head, but. Offer them value. Offer them like, hey, this is why I should reach out to some. Or, or this is why I should respond to this guy or girl. You know, this is why I should respond to them and ask something direct. Like, hey, and you know, even if it's like, you know, like like one I use is like, you know, can I know your story? Like, how how did you get to where you're at? Stuff like that. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of good stuff in there that I want to just clarify and dig into. The first of which, as you know now, is that you must lead with value. And the value can't be something that you look up on IMDb in three minutes. Like you said, it's like, hey, loved the show, right? It mm. demonstrates I've done my homework and I actually understand the work that you contributed. And here's the impact that it had on me. That's a really, really big part of this. It's not just some generic, you know, attaboy. It's more, you did this thing, you made these choices, here's the impact that it had on me. And I love, you You didn't, you didn't even tell me this part of the story, but that he said you went full FBI on me. I'm totally gonna steal that and remember that uh, for future <laughs> workshops and sessions. But um, like the the joke that I always tell people is that you wanna do your homework, but you know don't become a cyber stalker. It's very, very fine line before I've, between I've done my homework and I'm a cyber stalker. And you didn't cross that line, but he was you know kind of uh, alluding to the fact that you went full FBI because nobody does that. So yeah. this person received an outreach message from a total stranger that stood out because it wasn't the same generic template. It was, wow, this person really put time into learning more about me and my work. The least I can do at this point is read the rest of their message. Not the least that I can do is respond. That's where people get stuck. Well, I provided you value. I earned a response. No, you didn't. Mm-hmm. You earned the right for me to read the rest of your message. The next thing that I remember telling you, and I you alluded to this, and I want to dig into it deeper because this is kind of the foundation of my entire system. And this is one of the slides that I have in my workshop, and I tell my students that you need to print this out, 27 by 41 poster style, frame it, and put it above your workspace. It is not that people don't want to help you. 
It's that people don't know how to help you. And that was one of your biggest challenges. I would read your outreach from the perspective of the person receiving it. And I'd say, what do you want? I don't know what you want from me, right? Yeah. I, it, you, you said nice things, but it becomes a transaction. It becomes, this was awesome. Thanks for letting me know, Matthew, best of luck. Versus mm -hmm. turning it into the beginning of a relationship. So what did you start to learn about how to tell your story so people understood how to help you? I would... It's, you got, you explain where you're at. Like, hey, so I'm currently unscripted assistant editor. I want to transition over to scripted. What's something that a second assistant editor would do or would know that would get them hired? You know, it's stuff like, it's like, or it's like, how did you get on? Like, you know, like, how did you get on this big Warner Brothers film? How did you do that? Like, like, you know, like, who'd you know? And then they're like, oh, well, you know, it's like, you, like when you're direct, when you're to the point and when you let them know where you're at, like, like, like I'm at A, I want to go to B. If you can do that, that's half the battle right there. Maybe, maybe even more than half, you know, we got. Oh, it's, it's, way, more, it's way more than half the battle. It's the entire battle, because ultimately, if they don't know how to help you, even if it was a nice message, nothing's going to come from it or at best is going to be a very simple response. And you're like, well. I got a response, but now what? And like you said, it's very clear where you say, this is where I am now. This is where I'm going next. And here's the knowledge gap. This is where I'm stuck, or this is what I don't know, or this is where I'm seeking some advice or a guide or whatever. But one of the key things that you mentioned, which is another area where I feel so many people get stuck, is it wasn't just tell me what to do. It was, what did you do in this situation? Remember where we talked about the expert approach versus the journalist approach, where it's like, you're the expert. Tell me what to do with my life. Most people are like, I don't know what to tell you to do. I barely got my own life figured out. How can I give you life advice, right? Like I've, I've made a living out of giving people advice and I still feel that way. It's like, who am I going to tell you what to do, even though it's not what I do for a living? Uh, but most people feel uncomfortable with that, but everybody knows their own story. So you've learned how to talk to people about their story such that it applies to yours and you can get something from it. Yes. And, th and that is really like, that's, that's the goal. That's the key. That's how you make the connect. Cause then it's, cause then they, they, they talk to you. They get just as invested in you as you are with them. My, my mentor, the one that I connected because of you, because, you know, because of you and the whole team, I mean, I still talk to him. I still, I, I, I message him. He not like every scripted show that I've been on. He's got me on. This is all you know, like, we actually still, have not met, which is the craziest thing for me. I, I worked with an editor that knew him. She showed me a picture of him. I didn't actually even know what he looked like. I was like, I've never actually seen his face. What does he look like? And she was like, what? You haven't seen his face? <laughs> I didn't even I know that know. part of the story. That's amazing. Well, that, like, that, that, that is a recent thing that's uh, that actually happened. She's like, you, you've never even seen his face. I'm like, yeah, I've never met him. But like him and I talk like I'll like he's someone and, you know, like the whole pen pal thing. You get into that as you go on, because then it's like, oh, it's my it's, it's my buddy Matt. Of course, I'm going to respond to his text. Hi, what's up, man? How you doing? And one piece of advice I just want to give everyone listening is this is something that like, you know, Zach kind of like alluded to with like the whole anxiety thing. And now that I'm working, especially in like high end scripted, I can tell you this is so true. I once before when I sent an email and someone didn't respond in a couple of days, I was scared. I was hurt. I was scared. I was like, man, they don't like me. The fact of the matter is if they're currently working right now, they got your email. You're on their list to respond to. As long as it's a good like outreach email, you're on their list of people to respond to. They're just so busy. And like, that's something that like, you know, and that comes from like, you know, this experience of actually working in the, like, in the industry. I understand that now. Uh, someone sent me an outreach email, a good outreach email. It was a good guy Been talking to him for a while. And like, he sent it to me like a week ago. And like, I just responded like yesterday. And I was like, I am so sorry. I feel so bad. And <laughs> I don't think you did. You, you don't need to be apologizing for anything to go less than a week to send a message. I mean, my Lord, I have outreach messages that are perfect 
Like people go through my ultimate guys. They do step by step by step. They sent the perfect outreach. I haven't responded in a month and a half. <laughs> has nothing to do with the outreach. It has to do with like, I have so many messages in my inbox. And if my full-time job were answering emails, I'd probably be able to keep up. And I say probably. And that's with help from an assistant. But email just is not my number one priority, even though it's funny because email is now one of the foundations of what I teach people how to communicate with. But it's just not something that I prioritize all day, every day. And if you do creative work, whether you're an assistant editor or an editor or a composer, especially directors, producers, people on set, you might not hear from them for weeks. So the assumption that you show up in their inbox and within days you're due a response, got to get that out of your head. However, you also can't give up and you must have a follow-up system such that you can gently nudge them at the right time to elicit that eventual response, which of course is something that you and I also workshop extensively is what does that look like? So you're not being a pest, but at the end of the day, you just gently remind them in a very polite way, I'm still here. It, yes, and, and it's, it's that follow-up email that makes, that I think makes the difference because when you send that follow-up email, it's like, you know, uh, I think, is it two weeks you say is what mm -hmm. you generally do? Two weeks. That, that two weeks, hey, no pressure. Just want to see how you're doing. What's up? You know, you know, just be like, you know, I, I know things are busy. That one you can be a little bit more passive with, but if you do it right, it's like a right kind of passive you get the response. And that's what happened with the, you know, the guy that, you know, you, that you helped me connect with. It was actually the, I sent a follow-up two weeks later and that's what he responded to. And he was like, dude, I'm so sorry. I did not respond to you. Like the day you see, you know, he's like, dude, like, I'm so sorry. Like, let's hop on the phone. And I mean, you know how it went from there, Zach. <laughs> I do. I know how it went, but I want to make sure the people listening know how it went. Because so what I want to do is I want to connect the dots so people can see that even though everybody's path is different, the formula is essentially the same. I see this happen literally every day now with my students where, yes, the paths are different and the timeline is different, but it's essentially the same beats over and over and over. So step one, you write an outreach message to uh, we don't need to mention who the person is, but, you know, a high end editor working in animated features and the, the world that you want to get into. Yeah. You write them a message. Uh, the message was not good. You and I workshopped it. We made it way, way better to eliminate all these issues of being an email pen pal and just kind of fanboying. And instead, like, you know, I, I want to reach out to you as a, a, a professional in the same world. And there's a few things that I wanted to ask. They did not respond. Mm -hmm. And then two weeks later, we use the follow-up formula that I taught you. And I always tell people the magic is in the follow-up. It's never about the initial message. The magic is in the follow-up. So had you not sent the follow-up, the rest of the story might not even exist. But knowing you, yeah. you would have found another way. But you get the follow-up message, and I want to make this part very, very clear. Did you ask to get on a call? No, I did not. I was shocked. I I don't even think I waited for the Wednesday that was our class day. I think I sent you a message immediately. I was like, Zach, he wants to call. But, um, yep. but no, I get those I, messages all the time where people say, oh, my God, I sent the outreach message and they want to have a call with me. And nobody understands why. And the reason is if you're very clear about how somebody can help you and they see the need and they know that they can fill that need, they want to. I really believe that by and large, most of the people in this industry want to help other people succeed. Not everybody. There are douchebags. We do live and work in Hollywood. There are people that see this as a zero-sum game, which means that if I help you, you're going to take my jobs. That does exist, but it's way less prevalent than people think that it is. But by and large, if you make it very clear where I need support and this person can provide that support, they want to do it. And nine times out of ten, if you formulate your ask in just the right way, which you did, it almost always gets the response. You know what? I would love to answer your question. So much easier to just get on a call rather than sending an email. It, I mean, it happens every single week. And it, it really, you know, it's, I sent the follow-up and him and I, we, we, we had the call. We talked for 45 minutes and at the end of it, and the, the biggest thing is to be yourself. You know, the, the person you reach out to have it actually, it's, it's not just like, oh, I'm not really a Star Wars person, but The Mandalorian was a big show. So I'm going to reach out to the Mandalorian editor or assistant editor. No, it's like I was religious about The Mandalorian. You have to be like that. You have to be like, hey, 
this is something that really matters. You know, like this matters to me. This was such a big part of my childhood, or this is a big part of my current, or it's like, I never heard of this show. I watched it on Netflix. I saw your name on the credits. And I just got to say, that's amazing. Here's where I'm at. You're where I want to be. How would I make that? How would I bridge that gap? That's, I mean, a little bit more polished. That's your outreach email right there. And as you know, every time that I talk about this idea of providing value to people in giant, bold, red, all caps letters, underline asterisks, I say your value must be genuine. Yes. If it's not genuine and authentic, people smell the bullshit. Yes. But yours was genuine and authentic. And the person that you reached out to was like, uh, I never get messages like these. Like, why would somebody send? It's, it's not like we were reaching out to Walter Merch. He probably yeah. gets a lot of outreach. We were reaching out to somebody that most likely almost never gets the quality of message that you sent, which is why it stood out, which is why you probably got a Zoom call and had a, a conversation. So now connect the dots between initial Zoom call and dream job for Marvel. So um, basically it was I, I had I had the phone call with him and it was he couldn't help me immediately, but he, I was on his radar. And he was like, man, we are going to get you out of reality. We're going to get you indescriptive. We're going to, it is going to be awesome. And he's like, I see a lot of myself in you. I want to help you. And I do believe, you know, like what you said, people do want to help each other. You know, even like all, all of the shows I've worked on, it's always been like, hey, this is what you need. We want to help you get there. So basic, so, you know, it was... He connected me with people. He, whenever he learned about like, oh, hey, this is something that you could do. He sent my resume. And I mean, he, he now I, I will say the guy that I connected to, he went above and beyond. He would, he, you know, like if someone didn't respond to me, he would send them a message like, hey, why didn't you respond to this guy? That's a lot. I would not expect most people to do that. He did because he's awesome. I mean, just to be honest, um, but it's like one of those things you, because I was genuine with him and he knew where I, I wanted to go. He, he put his neck on the line for me every time. And to the point where, when I made a mistake, I'm, I made a, I'm, you don't know this Zach. So I'm, let me tell you like this, this story. I made a mistake and it ended up being a positive thing in the end. But when it happened, my soul was crushed. And I called him and I told him, this is the first thing I, I told him. I was like, I'm more scared to have this conversation with you than I am to have it with my own mother. And he was like, what? I explained to him what's going on. And he, he, he told me, he was like, dude. And he's like, I put my neck on the line for you. Not because I thought you were going to get right every time. I put my neck on the line for you because I knew you were going to try your hardest. And that's what you did. And that's why I did it. And you have to build that level of trust with somebody. So like, that's what, like, because I was able to build a level of trust with him, that's how he was able to get me on, you know, Rise and uh, the Apple show and the Marvel show. He was, you know, he, I built a level of trust with him. I didn't even know I built it to that level because all of this happened before I had that conversation with that phone call. I'm like, yo, I'm, more scared than with my mom. Like all this happened before that, that call happened afterwards. And I, it, that conversation made me realize I built up such a level of trust that he like, it's not just a matter of going to bat. He's the coach, you know, he put me on the field knowing I could hit that home run. And that like when you build a relationship after that outreach email, when you're building, when you're talking, that's what you're trying to get to. Because that's what's going to get there. And that's what's going to get you where you want to go. Or as far as they can take you, you know, like that's what makes it. Well, little did we know that workshopping ad nauseum, one outreach email was going to get you a mentor that was not only going to open doors, but was going to kick them open 
and make sure that people knew that the door was open and you were there standing waiting. I had no idea any of this would come from this. Um, my hope is that we would get a response in a Zoom call. So the fact that it led to where it did now is just absolutely astounding and just speaks to your level of tenacity and um, you know cl clearly understanding the value in all of this. And there's, a, there's one piece of advice that you learned a little bit earlier in your career that I think is another very good piece of advice for people to understand before we wrap up. Because what you've alluded to and realized is that you don't have to be perfect. And he's judging you based on your character. He's like, this is somebody that's going to work their hardest. He's still young. He's going to make mistakes. And I understand that. But I'm vouching for this person's character because, as you said, you're not even that great as an assistant editor. And I would bet that you're probably better than you think. You're very hard on yourself. Um, given where you are now, I bet you're pretty good at your job. But you realize that it's not the only part of your job. So talk to me about one of the most, if not the most profound piece of advice you got a little bit early in your career about skills versus character. Yeah. So, okay. So my, when I was in college, I was, I was, I was an intern slash post PA for an indie feature film. I, I used to drive from San Diego to LA without a car. So I would borrow, I would rent cars, borrow them from friends. I, I racked up a pretty big bill from that. Um, investment was, was well worth it, clearly. Oh, yes, 100%. And the assistant editor for that, for that indie feature film, he told me, he was like, listen, Matt, if I have a choice between somebody who knows Avid was a total dick, unbearable to be around, and someone who knows nothing about Avid, but is really fun, really excited, and really eager, I'm choosing the second person every time because I can teach you how to be an assistant editor. I can teach you how to use an avid. I can't teach you how to treat people. I can't teach you how not to be a dick because we're all too old for that. And I mean, I, 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 at 21 years old, I was too old for him to do that, you know? And he even straight up said, he was like, I wouldn't have let you stayed as the post PA if you were unbearable to be around. So, and that's, that's one of those things like you have to go into everything, be humble and be like, hey, I'm here to learn. Even if you know how to do dailies, you know how to do script sync, you know how to do a sound pass, you know how to do all these temp VFX. What's the way you like it? Because when you're working with, you know, with a first AE or an editor, you, you, you got to be like, hey, how do you like it? And you have to. I relearn everything, every job. <laughs> I waste so much paper writing all these notes just to literally rewrite them the next job because they're like, okay, this is the way they like it. And I know it's not really a waste, but I have probably written how to do dailies about five times. They're all I actually just recently found, like I, I have one in the notebook that I'm using right now. And I found one from an earlier show. I'm comparing them like these notes are basically the same with like a few minor editor preferences. And but like that's the thing is that you have to do that because you have to learn how they want it. And you have to be be bright, be cheerful, especially as we're all remote, as we're all in Zoom. You're not able to be there all the time. So when you are on Zoom and you people do see your face, be the guy that smiles. Be the girl that, you know, makes a joke or like, even like, you know, I try in most of my Zoom meetings, we have like a daily meeting. I, I, I try to always be the person that's like, hey, good morning, everyone. And everyone else's camera's off. Everyone else is muted. Usually I get one person to unmute. Oh, good morning, Matt. Stuff like that. Like it, it sounds corny, but stuff like that, because it's, you're being bright, you're being cheerful and do not have an ego. Whatever ego you have, check it at the door. You don't have it. You got to be humble. Well, once again, lots of amazing advice and you are wise well beyond your years. And on that note, we're going to have one more advice-based question. What I would love for you to do, and you may already know this exercise because I do it on a lot of my podcasts, not all of them, but I do it when applicable. And in this case, very applicable. I want you to jump back into a time machine and I want you to travel to yourself with the highest amount of career anxiety you have ever experienced sitting in the middle of a paint store. 
wondering when the hell am I ever going to get out here and am I ever even going to get out of here? What are you going to tell yourself? The first thing I'm going to say is don't be so hard on yourself. You know, I think I know I, I know I'm very hard on myself. A lot of my friends have told me that they're hard on themselves. Don't be so hard on yourself because Rome wasn't built in a day. And when you're building your career, you kind of are like you're building an empire. You're building something that's going to last the rest of your life. You know, like generally. It, it's never going to be built in a day. Take every defeat, every failure, quote unquote, and find a way to win from it. And then I would also tell myself, it's like, hey, like send those outreach emails when you have a reason to, when you know what you know exactly what you want to say. Because there are a lot of people, especially when I was at the paint store, a lot of people that's like, man, if I could go back and put that phone down, be like, hey, buddy, think about it. Just think about it. Because this does, this is not a good, this is not a good outreach you're doing. This is, I don't think anyone holds anything against me, but there are definitely people that there's like an awkwardness now that's like, oh, you know, you, you sent that really bad outreach like a little while back. And this is, this is the curse of having a very recognizable last name. It's like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> you're not going to meet too many more Perugias in the film industry, especially for posts, you know, like that, that, that was me. Hi. Well, with your personality, you'll you'll learn how to how to overcome that very quickly and make that a positive instead of a negative, I'm sure. Definitely. So, well, uh, like I said, that is amazing advice. I think that everybody should uh, take note of your story, your approach, all the things that you've mentioned. And most importantly, for anybody that is listening today that's thinking, man, I would love to reach out to Matthew if they wanted to connect with you and learn more about you. How can they do that? Facebook is probably the best way, way to get a hold of me. My name is my name. Is I'm sure Zach's been put in the title. So mm -hmm. just reach out, but send a good outreach email because, you know, you've heard a lot here. And just listen to a few more of Zach's podcasts. You'll, you'll know how, how to send it. Send something that will knock my socks off and you'll get a response. I love it. Absolutely fantastic. Well, this is just one of those journeys that I just have absolutely loved watching. And it's certainly not the end of a journey. It is the very, very beginning in, of you building what is going to be your giant empire. So I can only imagine how quickly things are going to move along as you continue to build these relationships and continue to be humble and provide value. Um, but at least for the meantime, this will be the end of the story. So I must say that it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Very glad that you can check off uh, your bucket list being on this <laughs> podcast. It means a lot to me. And can't thank you enough for being here today. So thanks so much for sharing all this with us. And thank you, Zach, for everything you've done. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. And um, yeah, I'd love for a part two one day, a, a, a follow-up to see where I'm at. <laughs> all right. All you got to do now is earn it. De yes, definitely. Which I know you will. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I wanna make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even gonna send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.